even when we see the apostasia of the church, the Greek word there, apostasy, you know, when we see that, we go, oh, this is that which was spoken by, you know, um, Paul to the Thessalonican church. You know, we realize, oh, this is what we can expect to have happen. Um, and we can see when Israel, people hate Israel, uh, we can say, wow, this is what the Bible said would happen in the last days. It makes sense what's going on. Even though the world's like, none of this makes sense. As Christians, we get to say, uh, yes, it does. It all makes perfect sense when you have the Bible. Uh, so all that to say, um, I, I, I think we should be praying. That's, that's probably the, the main thing I want us to glean tonight in this first part of the Prophecy Update is just to be able to say, uh, let's pray for the church. The church needs to change its course, the greater church. We need people who get back to Jesus. The main thing, the main thing. We need to not exonerate people and, and put people up as our champions. We need to know that Jesus is our champion. Um, there's so many things there that we just covered that I think we should be praying for the church of Jesus Christ. Are you guys with me on that one? Yes, we need that. Well, all that to say, some of the things that make sense are the things I'd like to show you. Some of the things I'm watching, I'm interested in in this coming year and what's happening right now in January. Um, uh, there's, some, there's some interesting things just to, to look at. And um, what, what is probably the centerpiece of all things Bible prophecy? Anybody? Israel, that's correct. So let's start with that. Israel, this, um, the nation Israel lies at the center of all events um, related to Bible prophecy. And, um, and, and by the way, numerous Bible prophecies about Israel specifically gives us a little bit of a perspective on timing and what, when things are coming down and stuff like that. Um, and, uh, and one of the things the Bible says in the last days is the world is gonna increasingly turn against Israel. And if you've been watching the news and seeing what's going on, you've seen a turn. It's a few clicks more intense right now since even last month. Um, of the world hating Israel. Have you guys seen that? Have you been watching that? It's kind of an interesting thing, and I, I don't want to miss that. Um, you know, we could talk about what Israel's doing. You know, Israel, just a, uh, uh, just a week or two ago, they bombed uh, Damascus Airport uh, and took out some Iranian weapons right there on the runway of, of uh, Damascus Airport because they can't afford to let the Iranians, you know, get those weapons right on their northern border. So there's, there's stuff like that we could talk about, um, but that happens all the time. Uh, almost every month, I can say, another attack in Syria. Um, and, and this is funny because I say that so glibly now, but you know, in Isaiah 17, the Bible says that Damascus is gonna be a heap, a ruinous heap. And the, the, the Hebrew word there, uh, it, it really means there's gonna be nothing left and it's gonna be uninhabitable, that's the idea. And the reason that's one of the more fascinating Bible prophecies, you might say, well, maybe that was some old thing in history. Well, that's the interesting thing about the city of Damascus. Did you know the city of Damascus in Syria is the oldest city in the world? Did you guys know that? Like that that's just fact. And it's never been uninhabited and it's never been totally destroyed. Uh, boy, there's so many cities we could talk about that were totally destroyed. Even Jerusalem was leveled and destroyed um, in AD 70. Um, by the Romans, uh, 586 by the Babylonians, like, like almost every ancient city has some destruction, uh, total destruction in its past. But Damascus, not so. But Isaiah 17 says there's gonna come a day at the last days we're gonna see, like Isaiah 17 says, Damascus is gonna become a ruinous heap. The reason that is kind of important when you're watching Israel, and I'm, I wasn't even planning on talking about this tonight, but thought I should. Uh, but just keep an eye on that. When Israel's bombing Damascus, I believe it's possible that Israel might really bomb Damascus at some point. When I say really, 
It has to do with a promise Israel made to all the factions up north of them, whether it's the Syrians or the Iranians or the Russians or whoever's in, you know, Syria is a total mess right now and it has been for a long time. But um, some of those missiles that the Iranians are constantly trying to sneak into Damascus, because when, when you're up with us on Mount Bental looking from Israel over into um, Syria, which we do on our Israel trip, if you're there at nighttime, you can see the glow of the lights of Damascus just over the horizon. Uh, it's kind of interesting. That's how close they are. Um, and Israel has made this promise. If any of those missiles, and we're not talking about the little goofy Scud missiles or the ones that are like, you know, where they just kind of are like a, um, letting load of a balloon. Like a lot of the missiles the Hamas have, it's, it's like letting go of a balloon. It's like, good luck, hopefully it hits somebody. Um, but if they use one of those high-tech missiles, which Iran has, and they go to bomb Israel. Israel has promised that they will make Damascus a parking lot. Uh, and, and they didn't say nuclear, but that's the implication. They will use nuclear weapons if those missiles come across. So I wonder when that's gonna happen. And by the way, for you Bible prophecy buffs, uh, you, you have to realize, could that be the thing, the Damascus Isaiah 17 thing that triggers the whole Gog Magog thing? And you can totally see that happening because Russia's up there in Damascus as well, uh, along with so many other factions. You can totally see how the thing would just, that, that might be the catalyst. I'm not saying for sure it is, but it very well could be. Well, be that as it may, aside from Israel bombing Syria and stuff like that that's happened in the last few days, um, Israel continues to be uh, hated by the world. Um, one of the things that you should note, uh, the Times of Israel article, um, the UN condemned Israel more than all other countries combined in 2022. The General Assembly resolution backing ICJ probe capped um, year saw 15, 15 anti-Israel measures compared to 13 against the rest of the world. Uh, I guess Russia got something like six um, resolutions against them, but Israel got uh, 15 resolutions. Um, uh, and you, you'll see this screen up on the big UN screen when they're making their votes. You know, and this is the Israeli practices affecting the human rights of Palestinian people in the occupied Palestinian territory. And they were voting on this resolution. And you can, you can see the, you know, the green ones are the ones who hate Israel. And they just keep passing resolution after resolution. Since 2015, like listen to this, this is amazing. Um, you know, if you go to Israel, you realize, oh wow, Israel's one of the only nice countries in the whole Middle East. When I say nice, I mean friendly, I mean productive, I mean fruitful, I mean technological, I mean uh, fill in the blank. Israel's like one of the only legitimately nice countries in all the Middle East. And yet in 2015, the General Assembly has adopted 140 resolutions criticizing Israel. 140, uh, mainly over its treatment of the Palestinians, um, its relationship with other neighboring countries and all their alleged wrongdoings. Over the same period is, is passed 68 resolutions against all other countries in the world. 68 resolutions to all the other countries, um, but Israel gets 140 resolutions. So the UN, which nation do they kind of hate the most? It's really clear. It's not even up for grabs. Israel's got more than twice the resolutions against it than all the other nations of the world. It seems to me like there should be 60 or 140 resolutions against China or against, um, you know, fill in the blank, Iran, for crying out loud, uh, where women are treated horribly or Christians are hung by cranes or like, like there should be some other countries under their scrutiny, but Israel's their target. And sad to say, it's not just the UN, 
It's also U.S.-Israel relations. Jerusalem Post, just uh, January 5th. Um, is the U.S. leaving the quartet on the Middle East? Um, the, the Jews are concerned that we're leaving the, the table. Um, who's the quartet? Well, this is an interesting thing because Russia is not singing with the quartet, if you would. Um, the quartet on the Middle East is a group of four international entities that was established way back in 2002 to try to help facilitate the peace process between Israel and Palestine. Uh, the quartet is United States, European Union, United, uh, um, uh, the United Nations, and Russia. Those, that's the quartet, as they call it. But the State Department clarified that Israel-Palestinian issues are central to the Biden administration, as they're saying, um, which has been, according to him, doing what we can in the interim to help set the conditions, re-engaging with the Palestinian Authority. Why are they re-engaging? The, the worldview of the Trump administration was to say, we've been trying to pander to the Palestinians and we've done nothing for the last 40 years. So we're gonna kind of forget them for a second and let's just work with Israel. And that's when he, that's when he made Jerusalem the capital city uh, from the American perspective. That's when, you know, the Abraham Accords, which we, we have yet to talk about that as much. I talked about the Abraham Accords before, but are they good or bad? That's an interesting question to ask yourself. Are the Abraham Accords a good thing or a bad thing? You, well, they're good. I'm not sure about that. We could talk about that. But it was a good attempt where suddenly Israel and Arab nations are making peace treaties. That hadn't happened for 25 years. Uh, when, when the Trump administration kind of set aside the Palestinian issue, um, it, it actually uh, caused action and stuff actually were, happened to help people. Now, the Biden administration is going back to the Obama administration where they're saying, yep, we need a two-state solution. That's the ultimate goal. They wanna divide Jerusalem. That's, and so that's what it says when they're re-engaging with the Palestinians um, and the Palestinian Authority. They're um, basically saying they're committed to a two-state solution. Remember, whenever you hear that two-state, Palestinian-Israel two-state solution, what you have to remember is that means chopping Jerusalem in half. That's the thing you gotta remember. Uh, oh, it sounds great. Why not just make two states, one for the Palestinians and one for the Jews? Well, if you're in Jerusalem, you realize why well, that's not gonna happen ever. First of all, I'm not saying the Jews are perfect and, and, and I'm not saying the Palestinians are all bad. I have Palestinian friends in Jerusalem. But what you have to understand is that it's like a, a, you know, a puzzle piece, the way the lines are drawn between the Palestinians and the Jews and they're all intertwined and they live amongst themselves and together. And like, how do you separate that out? It's impossible. But you also have to realize the Palestinians don't even want a two-state solution. They want the whole thing. Or the Arab nations surrounding are saying, no, the Palestinians get the whole thing. And they will never agree to a two-state solution. Uh, and, and yet what's happening is the world saying, yeah, we need a two-state solution. And, and you say, well, what's the big deal about that? Well, the two-state solution draws a line and chops Jerusalem in half. And this is where the Bible comes in. It says in Zechariah 12, three, and in that day, I will make Jerusalem a burdensome stone for all people. And that's, that's interesting. Jerusalem is burdensome for all the nations right now. All the nations are troubling themselves with the Arab-Israeli conflict. And it says, all that burden themselves with it shall be cut in pieces. Not much of a future for the person who tries to dabble with Jerusalem, though um, all the people of the earth be gathered together against it. Uh, as we get closer to the end, all the nations of the world will start gathering against Jerusalem. And so it shouldn't shock us that the United Nations has passed 140 resolutions against Israel. 
The world hates Israel largely. The United States is one of Israel's last uh, friends and with this administration, even that's kind of dubious. So um, it's not just Zechariah uh, 12, it's also Zechariah 14. Uh, it says, for I will gather all nations against Jerusalem to battle and the city shall be taken, the houses rifled, women ravished. And look what it says, half the city shall go forth into captivity and the residue of the people shall not be cut off from the city. Then shall the Lord go forth and fight against these nations as when he fought in the day of battle. Now, if you know your Zechariah passage there, um, that's talking about the second coming of Jesus. So, you know, we believe the rapture of the church is next on the list of things to do. But in the tribulation period, while we're in heaven in the marriage feast of the lamb, meanwhile, back on earth, things are gonna get really bad to the point where all the nations are gonna aim against Israel. And it's gonna really bring us to a battle called the battle of Armageddon, the last battle. And that's where the second coming of Christ is, where Jesus returns. And that's when he's gonna go as he fought in the day of battle. What's it gonna look like? Well, remember the Rabshakeh, the Assyrian that circled around Jerusalem and with his 185,000 soldiers? And one night they were all killed and the Jews looked over the wall and said, why are they all dead? Oh, an angel did that. That's how the Lord fights in battle. Um, that's what I think is gonna happen in the battle of Armageddon. When the Lord steps in and he returns, he's gonna come as a conquering king, not as a carpenter from Nazareth. So that's kind of an important thing. But anyway, this problem of wanting a two-state solution is feeding into this Zechariah narrative that is very much close to the second coming of Christ. And we should keep our eye on that. That's something to watch as Bible prophecy students. Um, and this problem has been percolating for many years. Someday uh, it will happen just exactly like Zechariah tells us. Um, it's, the hatred for Jerusalem and Israel is, is getting ugly. Even here in the United States, Jerusalem Post tracks this a lot about the United States. U.S. state representative calls Israel an apartheid-run thuggery terrorist regime. Um, and it's true. It was Massachusetts Representative Jamie uh, Bellistio, uh, Belsito, Bel uh, I'm not sure how you say it, um, uh, called on the United States to acknowledge that Israel is an apartheid-run thuggery terrorist regime. Uh, they said in a Twitter post last week. The U.S. must acknowledge that the Israeli administration is apartheid-run thuggery. Like, like this language is just very, very uh, hostile toward Israel. And they're talking about killing and taking, uh, you know, uh, um, making genocide. That's what they're, this person, uh, who's one of our leaders in our country, is claiming for genocide. The Jews are killing all the Palestinians, which is not true. In an Al Monitor article, Israeli uh, far-right minister uh, risks regional flare-up with Temple Mount visit. Uh, this is something the world is freaking out because the Jews, now that Netanyahu and his administration is back in power, um, th the claim is, well, this is gonna be the most conservative, um, you know, right-wing or whatever version of Israeli leadership in history, they're saying. Um, but um, as it turns out, the national security minister, their new guy named Ben Gvir, visited the Temple Mount. I'll show you this. He's even, this is an interpreter kind of telling us what he's saying. Check, this guy is kind of an interesting guy. This, he's gonna be fun to watch in the next several years. 
The government of Israel will not give in to an organization of murderers, to a despicable terrorist organization. The Temple Mount is the most important place for the people of Israel. The Temple Mount is open for everybody, Muslims, Christians, and yes, also Jews, also Jews. In the government, which I'm a member of, there won't be racist discrimination and Jews will visit the Temple Mount. We make it clear to Hamas, we don't give in, we don't surrender, we don't blink. If you've been to the Temple Mount uh, with us, we walk right there on the, uh, they're on the Temple Mount right there. You'll see a few heavily armed guys walking around with them. There's a reason for that. Um, but but what, you, what you, you think, well, great, he's strolling on the Temple Mount. But what you have to understand, this kind of thing has started the Intifada Wars of the past. Um, the Hamas are promising the next Intifada War because of what this guy just did, walking on the Temple Mount. He's saying, as a Jew, this is our most holy site. Uh, Islam is the third most holy site of Islam, and it was declared that fairly recently. It was Yasser Arafat's great uncle, the Grand Mufti, who said this is the third most holy site of Islam. So that's a new thing. Jerusalem is mentioned 800 times in the Hebrew Bible. It's mentioned zero times in the Quran. Uh, that's kind of an interesting thing. And so here's the Jews being forbidden to really walk on the Temple Mount. This guy's saying, we have the right to do that, and we're gonna walk on here, and he doesn't seem nervous at all. Um, one of the last times I took a group up to the Temple Mount, it's hard to get up there. Uh, sometimes I'll just shut it down for no reason. Was it the last trip where we didn't get on the Temple Mount? Um, the time before, we got up there and we were kind of walking around and you can't carry a Bible and you can't pray and you can't, you know, they're, they're watching. You can't even hold your wife's hand. Uh, Debbie and I, we just do that so naturally. I was just kind of grabbed her hand and it's there, whoop, 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 whoop. He pushed our hands apart, you know, and I was like, uh, oh, sorry, you know, didn't, didn't mean to offend you with such a public display of affection. Um, <laughs> you guys should try that once in a while. Uh, no, I didn't, I didn't say that. Um, but, um, but, uh, <laughs> but all that to say, um, you know, just getting on the Temple Mount is a little tense. One time we were up there just walking around, looking, and I was quietly whispering along with my, my buddy Steve, the tour guide, and we were telling quietly kind of what's happening. And suddenly a bunch of the Muslims up on the Temple Mount started circling around us yelling, Allahu Akbar, Allahu Akbar. Uh, people came running with guns and they kind of said, okay, why don't you guys uh, have a nice visit? Why don't you guys head out now? Uh, it was kind of an interesting, was anybody there when they started doing that? Which one of you guys, you guys were there? That was your trip when you, yeah, it was a little interesting moment. Uh, very exciting for tourists from America. <laughs> but uh, I don't know, maybe you guys didn't know that it was that big of a deal, but it was. <laughs> Death was on the line. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, no, it wasn't, it wasn't that bad. Uh, but anyway, Ben Gavir has visited many sites in, in times past, but now as the national security minister, this guy visiting the Temple Mount compound, this is stirring up Hamas and the Palestinians and, and so they're promising more violence, uh, which is really kind of sad. Uh, Jerusalem, in the last several years, quite a few years, has experienced kind of a whole nother um, level of, uh, well, they've, they've had peace for a long time, and now they're kind of seeing a whole nother level of violence. CNN, um, the Jordanian king, who's normally fairly neutral, he warns of, of red lines in Jerusalem as Netanyahu returns to office. So even the Jordanian-Israeli uh, um, situation is getting somewhat tense. Um, you'll see some of that here in this video of CNN interviewing uh, um, Abdullah, the king of uh, Jordan. 2022 has turned out to be the deadliest year for the Israeli-Palestinian conflict in two decades. And Jerusalem is a major flashpoint. There are fears of a third intifada uh, possibly on the horizon. How concerned 
are you about that prospect? We have to be concerned about an ex-Intifada. And if that happens, um, that's a complete breakdown of, of law and order, and one that neither the Israelis or the Palestinians will benefit from. Um, and I think there is a lot of concern from all of us in the region, uh, including those in Israel, that, that are on our side on this issue to make sure that doesn't happen. So that's a, a flash or a tinderbox that, that if, 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 if flashes is something that I, I don't think we'll be able to walk away from in the near future. And that's, that's what the world is concerned about right now. Things are heating up in Jerusalem, and that's something to keep an eye on this year. And especially as Netanyahu and the new administration gets more and more involved, we'll have to see what's happening with that uh, tension in Jerusalem. Jerusalem is the epicenter of Bible prophecy, so that's important. So that's kind of the first main thing I wanted to remind us is keep an eye on Israel, Jerusalem, what's happening with the world. But right now, even in the last few weeks, uh, tensions are reaching a, a, a higher level of trouble right now. The next thing that I always want to remind us to keep our eye on, as I bring up often, is globalism um, and the stage being set for this global, uh, more worldview and uh, economic globalism, spiritual, religious globalism, um, political, financial, economic globalism. Um, you should probably keep an eye on uh, January 16th through the 20th because that's where the World Economic Forum is uh, getting ready to meet. Of course, Klaus Schwab is gonna be there. Um, this is a picture that we made. I'm sorry, that's horrible, but... Um, but basically, Klaus Schwab is, uh, he, he, you know, they actually have presented what their agenda is going to be in this, uh, in this and, and one of the, it, you know, the agenda is basically to, to get a new system globally for just about everything. A new system because of the energy and food crisis around the world. Europe is, is really, like this is going to be, this is a tough winter already for Europe. And it has to do with the Russian-Ukrainian conflict, but you know, there's people starving and the cold in Europe right now. And so the, the World Economic Forum, they wanna come up with solutions to solve energy and food crisis, global inflation, the global economy issues. Um, the, the World Economic Forum is all about you know, uh, the use of technology and solving social issues. And if you follow their means and methods, and I'm just gonna give you a really quick uh, snapshot, a lot of this stuff lines up with what the Bible says in the book of Revelation. Uh, there's gonna be a one world government. There's gonna be a one world currency. There's gonna be a one world religion. There's, um, you know, like on and on it goes. And the World Economic Forum, all the things they talk about fit perfectly in line. One of the things that the book of Revelation, when you read Revelation 6 through 19, is you realize the tribulation period with the one world everything, um, there's, the main thing you have to see is control. There's gonna be massive control over people. Small, great, rich, or poor, they want to control people. So what are these new systems that the um, World Economic Forum and Klaus Schwab um, is wanting to do? Uh, well, let me just give you a couple examples. I could, I could give you 30, uh, but let me just give you a couple ones that I'm sort of tracking and watching, and maybe you can too. Um, how many of you guys have heard of the 15-minute cities? Okay, so the 15-minute city is a plan, and the World Economic Forum is kind of um, sort of behind these things. But the idea of a 15-minute city is an urban planning concept that basically aims to create small cities within cities where all the essential amenities and services are within a 15-minute walk or bicycle ride. Um, from any point where you live in your little uh, in your little 15 minute city, the goal is to stop climate change, of course. Um, but some crazy 
you know, uh, conspiratorial people think that it might be about seizing further control of people's lives. <laughs> um, you know, like for example, uh, you want to know one of the early adopters of this idea of the 15-minute city? Um, one of the early adopters is Oxford, England, and they're they're on the precipice of getting ready to perhaps unfold this. They're gonna, you know, um, Oxford, England. Um, it's a beautiful little place, um, and um, they're gonna divide. 150,000 people live in Oxford, but they're talking about dividing it into six of these 15-minute cities. Um, and, um, but like the proposal is kind of interesting. You can look this up. Um, they're saying that basically people, uh, residents will only be allowed, and that word allowed is kind of interesting, um, within 15 minutes of their home address. Violators ultimately will be fined. Um, for example, under the new proposals, if any Oxford's uh, 150,000 residents drive outside their designated district, more than 100 days a year, then they'll be fined 70 pounds. Um, in addition, the government will track and control your every move through smartphones and facial recognition to make sure you're kind of where you need to be. Um, and this is still in kind of the proposal phase, um, but there's a lot of people, I can't even believe this is gaining steam. Like to me, it'd be like, yeah, no. I was raised in the country. Uh, you know, I had a little farm when I was a kid and the nearest town was, a, we, once a week we went into town, which was like 50 miles or, you know, uh, 20 miles away and we got groceries and, and space and elbow room was kind of nice. Um, guess what American city, there's three American cities. Can anybody guess which one of the cities might be on, on board with 15 minutes? Portlandia, uh, big shock. Uh, look it up. Portland's already adopted the whole, they're already saying, well, yep, it's all about the 15-minute city. city. We're, gonna, we're gonna make that happen. And that's when you see TriMet and all this stuff trying to connect to all these, you know, the suburban things. They're, they're, it's, it's all part of this, this kind of weird worldview that's trying to, uh, uh, but, but this, this whole thing about the 15-minute city is, I think, something to watch. Because in some ways, China's already doing that in some ways. And, but they're not even trying to make it look nice. Uh, it already looks like horrible lockdowns and you can't go where you wanna go and do what you wanna do and stuff like that. So that's something to watch. The second, perhaps, uh, thing um, is this idea of global economic systems. Um, one of the things we're seeing is uh, Revelation 13 reminds us there'll be a global economic system. In fact, Revelation 13, 17, you guys that are into prophecy know this already, uh, that no man during the tribulation period will be in heaven at this time, but no man will be able to buy or sell save he that hath the mark, the mark of the beast, or the name of the beast, or the number of his name. And you know that number in the next verse says it's 666. So we know there's gonna be a system in place where you won't be able to buy or sell unless you have a, a mark. Now what that mark is, we've done whole prophecy updates talking about technology and what have you. But it seems to me like the world is gonna need some kind of crisis to make global, the globalist agenda possible. And the, the current economy it could be the catalyst that makes that more possible. If things get bad enough globally, economically, you can almost see people saying, okay, whatever, let's just get a new system that works. And I wonder, um, we've seen little, little bits and pieces of this starting to become a crisis. Um, you know, doom cycle, uh, according to Title Press, doom cycle of default, fraud, and contagion could give way to crypto spring. That's an interesting uh, article to read. Um, but the, crypt the crypto suffered a major hangover in 2022. If you know the whole cryptocurrency thing, um, after a 2020 and 2021 boom, um, 
<clears throat> during the central uh, bank's COVID liquidity party, the emerging blockchain space has been battered by central banks removing the punch bowl, a tough uh, macroeconomic environment, bankruptcies, exchange blasts, stable coin implosions, and even criminal charges uh, against top blockchain executives, uh, cryptography. Um, you know, we've been, we've, we have people talking about bringing the CBDC, the central bank digital currency about, which is something that's very much matching the book of Revelation. The fall of FTX, the king of crypto, uh, crypto you know, Sam uh, Bankman-Fried. Uh, that's been interesting to watch. But the governments are, are going to uh, go after these cryptocurrencies, I think, and, and Bitcoin, because they can't control them. The governments want to control them. Um, so it's gonna be interesting to see what happens this year with all that. Um, these are possibly some of the things that will give rise to more of a global economic system. Uh, Fortune um, did an article here on January 3rd, a recession is coming for most developed nations in 2023, and this is where uh, economists predict the worst. So 2023 is upon us, and there's a lot of people saying this could be a really rough year. Well, I don't know, I'm not an economist, but again, when you, when you watch the attitude of not just the experts, but even most Americans, um, you know, uh, Market Watch put out this article just a couple days ago, almost 80% of Americans think the US will experience great economic difficulty in 2023. Um, this article says a new year is often a time when people think about making positive changes in their lives, but it turns out Americans are not feeling great about 2023. This is particularly true about the economy. According to a new poll from Gallup, 79% of Americans think 2023 will be full of economic difficulty. 65% of people think overall prices of goods and services will rise at a high rate. And 81% of people think taxes will increase this year. You think? Yeah, it's, it's already happening. Um, so, you know, the, the, there's sort of a, uh, an attitude that things are gonna be worse. Um, but that's something to keep an eye on because I, I think if things do get worse, I think that gives rise to um, some of the worldly so-called solutions that are gonna start matching more and more with a uh, economy that is gonna be more global and we're gonna be more interconnected, which follows the narrative of the book of Revelation. Um, let me, I'm running out of time. Let me just go over one more uh, tech. Um, that's something to keep your eye on and things are getting weird. Uh, if you follow tech, uh, things are getting really weird. And um, the, the New York uh, Times, how many of you guys have heard of ChatGPT? Raise your hand if you've heard of that. How many of you have actually used it? Raise your hand. Okay, me too. Uh, and it's kind of interesting. Um, you know, because I like tech stuff, it is kind of an amazing technology. Um, but New York Times article, The Brilliance and the Weirdness of ChatGPT. And it is brilliant, but it's also really, really weird. Um, what is GPT? The potential societal implications of chat GPT are too big to fit into one column, this article reads. Um, maybe this is, as some commentators have po uh, posited, the beginning of the end of all white-collar knowledge work and a precursor to mass unemployment. Maybe it's just a nifty tool that will be mostly used by students, Twitter jokesters, and customer service departments until it's usurped by something bigger and better. Personally, this writer says, I'm still trying to wrap my head around the fact that ChatGPT, a chatbot that some people think could make Google obsolete, and that is already being compared to the iPhone in terms of potential impact on society, isn't even OpenAI's best AI model. 
Um, AI being, of course, artificial intelligence. That would be GPT-4, the next incarnation of the company's large language model, which is rumored to be coming out sometimes next year. Um, it's, it's kind of a long discussion about how GPT works, but it's, it's um, uh, Jordan Peterson, the people we should all exalt up is so high. No, I'm just kidding. Actually, Jordan Peterson did have some interesting things to say that might help you understand what it does. Um, and uh, it's, it's something to see. Check this out. This is a snippet of something he did on YouTube. So I'll tell you what chat GPT is, just so you know, because you need to know this. And I don't know what sort of technological revolution this is. It's smarter than you. This is a big deal. So this AI system, it's a general language processing model, was released about a week ago, a week and a half ago. And uh, I, I went and interacted with it. You can, it's an AI system, artificial intelligence system. It basically is trained on, well, a massive corpus of, of spoken and, or of text. So it's derived its models of the world from the analysis of human speech, essentially. It, it isn't using real world data yet, but that will be happening certainly within the next year. And ChatGPT analyzes a very large corpus of text and that corpus is growing all the time. Now it's already sophisticated enough. I went on to it last week and I said, okay, some of you know I, I've written these books, 12 Rules for Life, and then Beyond Order, 12 more rules, because, you know, you can't have enough rules. And I asked it, this is what I asked it to do. I said, write me an essay that's a 13th rule for Beyond Order, written in a style that combines the King James Bible with the Tao Te Ching. That's pretty difficult to pull off, you know? Any one of those things is hard. The intersection of all three that's impossible well it wrote it in about three seconds four pages long and it isn't obvious to me for better or worse that i would be able to tell that i didn't write it right right and okay and that's pretty impressive but the fact that it could do that grammatically perfectly right and quite impressive philosophically i also had it write an essay on the intersection between the Taoist version of ethical morality and the ethics that are outlined in the Sermon on the Mount, which it just nailed, got that dead right, brilliant. Again, it took it about three seconds. Uh, so, you know, I went on there uh, to check it out and played around with it. It is shocking. You know, some people are like, well, it's just another chatbot. It's not. Um, and it is something that's probably going to change a lot. Um, when you search something on Google, that's just taking a bunch of information that Google has sort of organized um, and what have you. This is actually artificial intelligence pulling from all kinds of text. Um, you know, millions and millions and millions of texts and what have you, and um, it's only going to get more um, intense. And and like if you if you knew how this just it doesn't have feelings, it doesn't have a conscience, of course, um, but it feels like you're talking to a human more than a chatbot or anything like that. It it's hard to even explain. You almost have to just do it. Um, but if you do it, you have to take the mark of the beast. And no, I didn't do that. I, I'm just kidding. But um. But you know the th the thing about this that's kind of weird is um, how will AI come into play in the last days? I believe there's some evidence in the Bible. I'll show you that in a minute. 
But, you know, one of the things that, like, for example, you can do with this, um, I, you know, there's question about how this is gonna be used. And, and by the way, for you entrepreneurial type people, um, most of the world is looking at this like, okay, this is an open free source and there's all kinds of business opportunities for this right now. Like if you get in on it now, people are saying you could make millions and millions. It's like, it's, 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 it's this new thing that's just this December 5th, I think is when they unveiled it and it's free for now. But um, it's a little spooky uh, in so many ways. One thing, by the way, is if you're into writing code for computers, if you want it to write code, it can do that for you. You just tell, here's what I want it to do, and you have to be specific. But like, here's what code writers are doing. You can actually put the code that you've already written into it and say, this doesn't work. Can you fix it? And it will fix the code for you. Um, That's what code writers are already using this for that. And it's only a month old. And, uh, and it's in its you know, third iteration and they're saying the fourth iteration is gonna be, like what happens when you meld this together with other forms of robotics and what have you? Like, like your mind starts to go a little crazy when you think that. But there's also some really creepy stuff. You can describe things and it will actually, um, um, there's an AI image generator uh, and, and this is where it gets really weird. Uh, in fact, check this article out. Um, uh, it's um, a nightmare face is haunting AR, AI art and there's a reason we shouldn't look away. Um, this is gonna be hard to explain in, in two minutes because I'm running out of time, um, but you can look this stuff up. In, uh, in Science Alert, um, interestingly enough, uh, it says it says in this article, she's out there somewhere lurking in a parallel universe of possibilities. All you have to do is summon her into being, uh, and, the, and if, if the type uh, is right, prompted, uh, and uh, an AI image generator, this image of this mysterious woman keeps popping up all over, and now this woman has her own, and I'm gonna show you this woman. This is an artificial intelligence-generated thing by, that's popping up all over, and it's a little freaky, so I'm gonna caution you. I should probably scream when I show you this, but this is the woman. Uh, they gave her the name uh, Loeb, and she was discovered by a Swedish-based um, uh, AI artist who goes by the name of Super Composite on Twitter. But Super Composite is the first wave of modern creators to explore the realms of text-to-image AI generation. Um, and uh, this, this woman now has her own uh, Wikipedia page. Uh, like, it's, there's, there's some really kind of weird, I'm just showing you quickly something that's kind of crazy. Artificial intelligence is changing, this article says, changing the way art is created, perceived, and experienced. AI algorithms will be used to generate novel forms of art, music, poetry, visual art. Um, these algorithms can also be used to analyze, interpret existing artworks. Uh, additionally, art, AI technology will be used to create interactive art installations, performances that can respond and engage with re- re- uh, viewers in real time. Uh, overall, AI is making it possible for artists to create and explore new forms of expression. Um, uh, and, and you say, well, Brett, what is this? And this ugly picture and all this have to do with anything. Um, the, the Bible talks about some strange things that we've always kind of scratched our heads. Like, for example, Revelation chapter 13 where it says um, that this, uh, this false prophet, it says he will deceive them, in verse 14, that dwell um, on the earth by the means of those miracles which he had power to do in the sight of the beast, saying to them that dwell on the earth, they should make an image to the beast which had the, a wound by the sword and did live, and he had power to give life to the image of the beast 
that the image of the beast should both speak and cause that as many as would not worship the image of the beast should be killed. Um, this has always kind of baffled us. Like, what exactly is this? And how's that gonna shake out? Don't know. But when you see what's happening in AI and some of the stuff that's going on with that kind of stuff, you can see how, um, you know, I've always thought that sounded creepy and sort of Orwellian, the whole Revelation 13, 14, and 15. Um, but you can almost see how AI might play a role during the last days or the tribulation period in some of the things the Bible talks about. That's kind of weird and creepy. Uh, some of that is, is there. Now you're saying, okay, Brett, now that you've fully creeped us out, what do we do with that? Um, do we freak out? No. Uh, this is where you and I rejoice. And, and remember what the Bible says. Uh, remember Luke chapter 21, verse 28. When these things begin to come to pass, then look up and lift up your heads for your redemption draweth nigh. Man, that's what we have to remember. All this bad news points us to the good news of Jesus Christ. Remember that one. Bad news always points us to the good news of Jesus. Um, you know, 2 Corinthians 4.18, while we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen, for the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. To keep that eternal mindset like we talked about earlier. Matthew 24, six, it says, and you shall hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you be not troubled, for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. Jesus reminded you and me, even though we see wars and rumors of wars, we're to not be troubled by that. Don't let your heart be troubled by those things. And then also, uh, finally, 1 Thessalonians 5, eight through 11. But let us, Christians, who are of the day, be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love and a helmet for a helmet, the hope of salvation. For God hath not appointed us to wrath, praise the Lord for that, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with him. Wherefore, what does it say? Comfort yourselves together and edify one another, even as also you do. Because we're not appointed to wrath. By the way, the tribulation period is called the time of God's wrath. I think we're gonna be raptured before that because we're not appointed to wrath. So what do we do? We can comfort one another. So when one of the points of the prophecy update is say, yeah, bad things are happening, but the gospel is still in place. And we have the good news of Jesus and his return. We should not be afraid. We should be trusting in the Lord and, and really um, not, not letting our, ourselves get swept down the current of culture, but sticking with our rock. Jesus Christ. He's the whole deal. We stick to Jesus. Amen? Amen. Amen. Lord, as we consider these things tonight uh, that's going on around the world and the, even the condition of the church, I pray, Lord, we take this final moment, Lord, to lift up your church. Um, Lord, you, you tell us that um, in your word, how important it is to be given to the reading of scripture and to letting your word be our guide. And, and um, Lord, you tell us that your word is inspired. Every, every word is God-breathed. And I pray that your church would get back to that, Lord, back to your word and away from our culture and help us to learn how, what it means to be separate, to come out from among them. And I pray that there'd be more and more churches who would stand firmly on the truth. Lord, for those that have got maybe perhaps off course, I pray that they would humbly repent and, and see the, the flaw and, and make a humble return back to the, the scriptures, Lord. Even locally here in the Portland area, Lord, I pray that some churches would, would just see that, that, that things have not been good as they've just tried to go with the flow of the world. Um, but show them, Lord, the truth of word. Burn in their hearts just the joy of, of, of salvation and, and the joy of following your truth, Lord. I pray that you do a revival in the